This podcast is produced by Unedited. And basically I did get to meet my mum later on in life um, and it was a big wake up call to be honest because I, I had envisioned this idea in my mind of what she was going to look like. <laughs> she was not that. I never ever wanted to be like my mum so that's what kind of helped me to stay focused. Even though I was always involved in her drama and stuff like throughout my life but that's what really helped me. Hi, I'm Anika Allen and you're tuned in to the Black Magic Podcast. This is episode six, and today joining me, I have two inspiring and fabulous ladies, Denise Brown, who's a stylist and empowerment speaker, and Sharina Carstens, who's the founder of Beauty From Within. Later in the show, we'll be hearing from TV presenter June Sarpong. She's also the co-founder of Women Inspiration and Enterprise. Hey, ladies, so Denise, can tell us who you are and tell us a bit about what you do. I'm Denise Brown. I'm a freelance fashion stylist. I've styled over 40 celebrities worldwide, including Kanye West, Rihanna, Ed Sheeran. Um, also been fashion editor for Flavor magazine. Hey, Anika. <laughs> <laughs> my old business that I used to call. Uh, yeah. Um, and also freelance for various magazines. So I do like loads of editorials for like Huff magazine, Vault Cafe, and um, just different from high fashion to streetwear. I'm also an up-and-coming speaker, so I speak at universities, um, in schools and events, um, and I teach as well. So I, I lecture at a couple of universities and I teach fashion to young people. So yeah, keeping your hands very busy. Yeah. <laughs> and so over to you, Miss Thing, Sharina, tell us who you are, what is you, what is you do? Yes, my name is Sharina Carstens and um, I'm the founder of a company called Beauty From Within, which focuses on the inner identity of mostly young people. But we've had the advantage of being able to um, work with different varieties of ages as well. We've done this in the form of theatre shows, events, talks, workshops, just doing like charity work and stuff like that. Um, I'm also an up and I wouldn't say up and coming. I am a speaker. I've spoken at quite a few different types of events. I speak around confidence and identity and sort of sharing a bit of my story as well. And I'm also a vitiligo advocate um, for the skin disorder and have recently worked with a few companies um, doing a few campaigns and um, soon to be working with the BBC for a few things as well. So, so vitiligo, just for people that out there listening that don't know what that is, what is it? Vitiligo is a skin disorder where you lose the pigmentation in your skin um, and this can form into spots, dots or patches um, and the patches will turn white or off pink depending on the shade of brown or white that you are um, and it's basically just where your immune system starts to attack itself and that area has lots of melanin. So um, the model, um, Winnie Harlow, she she has it. So I think that she's one of the most, I guess, prominent people at the moment. I think that people would recognise yes. um, from from having it. Yeah, she sort of came out with it um, through her modelling career and has kind of made it fashionable now and less kind of uh, um, and also bringing, I'd say, understanding to what it is and kind of just making it more acceptable, I guess. Um, I've had the honour of meeting her as well and she's fabulous. Um, but yeah, there's so many other people that have it as well that are rocking it and doing great things with it as well. Fashion, art, um, creative people, um, even now people are using it as a form of business. Mm. <laughs> so dollies are coming out um, wow. so children can kind of learn That's about great. it. How did you deal with it when you first discovered you, you had it? So I discovered it first when I was 15. It was very tiny, just very small on the ends of my fingers. I didn't think of anything of it because I sort of looked at everyone else's fingers. People kind of had a white 
area. But when it started to grow, I was a bit more conscious because I was still young. Um, but when my vitiligo started to spread, um, it was kind of around the same time that Michael Jackson came out with it as well. Oh, wow. When I say came out, I was kind yeah, of confident so. about it. Um, and so I kind of just related myself to him. I was just like, oh, I'm not MJ, it's okay. <laughs> um, however, when I um, got pregnant with my daughter, when I was 24, um, it absolutely took over my body. And it was kind of like I accepted it the first time. Mm-hmm. The second time I was like traumatized because I was like, oh my God, am I going to turn white? Yeah. And I just kind of got to a point where I thought, okay, if I turn white, okay, I'm not dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm still here. I'm still the person. Um, just kind of sort of coaxed myself into knowing that I'm, I'm still fine. You know, there's there's worse things out there. I've still got my limbs. Yeah. Um, and, and that's when I decided I'm going to be an advocate for this thing. And I actually started doing a lot of advocacy work behind the scenes, not kind of out there um, around the age of 23, 24, to which I've got a lot of mentees now, one who's been on telly now and she's doing her thing um, before Winnie actually came out, funny oh, enough. Wow. So um, it's just great that it, it's something that's been raised and it's... Yeah. People there's more an, aware of it now. now. Yeah, yes. exactly. And because people can be cruel, and especially when you're kids, and even adults these days can be cruel. So I think somebody that you, you know, having people like you and having people like Winnie that are out there and be like, oh, I'm making it, you know, just seem normal kind of thing because it is normal for you. Yeah. It's your everyday. That's right. Is is a is a fantastic thing. Mm. And so Denise and Shireen, it's it's funny just um, as people you've both walked two different paths but actually you've had similar experiences and so you know you've (laughs) you've both been in care and you've both kind of like you know mothers as well Mm -hmm. and so um so it's interesting that um that you know as I guess from your kind of childhood or teenage days that you both had that experience I mean how do you think kind of being in care shaped the person who you are today Denise let's start with you um it made me yeah, become more confident and it also made me realise that I don't ever want to be like my family, mm-hmm. you know, because being in care was traumatic for me because um, I was I had to go to a couple of um, different um, care homes. I mean, I went into care quite late because I, when my mum became a drug addict, I was like 13, but then... I just pretended that she wasn't a drug addict. That's when I started to become really crazy on the streets and just me and my gang, we were just absolutely mad. But when I actually admitted it, I was 15. Mm. And um, that's when I was put into care. But I was put into care with different carers who were also on drugs. And eventually, that's when I lived in my youth hostel. But because I was passionate about fashion, that's from day one, that's what kind of helped me. So even though I was crazy on one side I also had fashion Mm. but I never ever wanted to be like my mum so that's what kind of helped me to stay focused even though I was always involved in her drama and stuff like throughout my life but that's what really helped me so how did you learn to kind of do fashion or to be kind of creative in that way um it started when I was 11 years old because my mum's friend she used to go to Ghana so she bought back African cloth and I used to rave Really young. <laughs> no, I shouldn't have. Why at 11? I was out. You're out at 11? Because my mum had me really young. So my mum had me like 16. So I would say to my mum, Mum, I'm going to go stay at my friend's house. And she'd be like, OK. Because she wants to get rid of me and my sister. Mm. So, um, but I went to, uh, I went out to a hip hop rave and I just hand stitched a hat. I made this hat like a cardboard hat, similar to like what Salt and Pepper used to wear. And I made like an African gown went out to a club and then everybody was saying, oh my God, where'd you get that from? And I said, yeah, I hand-stitched it. And then from then on, I got a name and I started to, you know, get a lot of clients, my mum's, you know, my mum's friends, my mm. friends. And then so 
I became the kind of like the leader of the crew. So every time we went out, I'd be telling everyone, this is what we're wearing. This is the theme. You, you guys, <laughs> we're going to wear satin. You're going to wear the black. I'm wearing the gold. You're going to wear the white. Do you know what I mean? I'm wearing the batty riders. And you're going to wear the... Sh- don't, no one don't wear batty riders. Okay. That's my... Do you know what I mean? Okay, no one ain't outdoing me. Everyone has their own look. Yeah. So that's how I kind of like got into fashion. And I was really confident because I used to go to like a lot of bashment raves and mm. I used to be one of them, you know, wind up on my batty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we are on your, on your head, head top. I couldn't do the head top, but my friend had, I had my friend doing that one. <laughs> they I used to do the twerk. You know, they call it twerk now. I, I was a twerk, <laughs> the twerker. <laughs> uh-huh. But yeah, it was it was wicked those days, though. It was amazing. You know, the race, it just used to be so good. You're so free, could be who you were. And um, yeah, so that's um, how I got into fashion. So that's how I found fashion. So you were, so you taught yourself? Yeah, yeah. So I just got the fabric, laid it on the floor, just drew what I wanted and cut it out and then just hand-stitched it and then pull it on. Before the days of YouTube and you could learn online. <laughs> yeah, that's just what I'm to, saying. Just, had, just, to, uh, just had to make it up as you went In my along. head, yeah. And uh, do you know what? It's funny because it stopped. Like, I lost my craft when I started to go to college. Mm-hmm. You know when they start teaching you how to do things properly, like I would pattern cut in? That's when I started to lose, like, how I could just do it like that. But yeah, I found fashion at a really young age. Yeah, so you're naturally gifted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's your that's your that's your blessing. Yeah. And um, one of the things that um, I just picked up on on what you mentioned is uh, you mentioned the word gang. So were you in an actual literal gang or you just like? No, I was in a gang. You were in a yeah, gang. There was about um, there was about eight of us. So my first gang was when I was twelve. So there was about seven of us but me and my would friends would be people? yeah like me and my friends would be out there making money you know going into shops stealing or robbing people where these ones were a bit too soft so I started to move around with the olders and they were more on street, the streetwise proper we used to go out there everywhere money. when you hang around with girls who are like a couple years older than you they're the ones who would send you out that will influence you go, yeah, go on do it man you'd be like alright I'm going to do it because you want to be the baddest girl there mm. but yeah so, feel a part of something I guess yeah I would, we were family mm. we loved each other and that's what happens because we had like there's no dad at home most of our mums a couple of my friends mums were they were um crack addicts and then they had mental illness so it was like we just we were just angry so we just used to just hang up go to school or bunk school and then after school we just go straight to youth club and just go and it's going crazy every day and then come home late because as I said my mom didn't really mind because she mm. just wanted to get rid of me and my sister and I guess what's funny is back then um, I don't think you heard that much about the kind of girl gang culture whereas mm. now I think that you, you're hearing a lot about what's happening with kind of like the whole girl gangs and also I guess you're hearing more about the kind of sexual kind of assaults or sexual um, power around kind of like girl gangs whether it's kind of you know whether girls are used to kind of initiate guys into a gang or whether they're used as honey traps yeah so there's, um, there's a lot more kind of I guess there seems a lot more to it these days or maybe it happened then and I just wasn't um, aware of it it wasn't as prevalent. Because I remember one time I was in Labbrook Grove we was at a party and then there were some South London boys. I forgot, is it 28s? The 28s were there. Mm. And then Labbrook Grove guys, they must must have found out somebody from the party, girl, said, yeah, the 28s are here. So the whole of the Grove guys were there to beat up the 28s and there was one particular guy from South, from 20... I protected him. Mm. We said, listen, hide, hide. And I'm so happy because years down the line, I went to like, I went to 
Westminster College in Battersea. He's like, you're right, you're right. Don't you remember me, Smee? No, Sim. Do you remember me? Look, you protected me, Smee. Thank God. Imagine if I didn't protect him when I was younger. <laughs> I would have got beaten up. <laughs> but yeah, there was all of that. It was, it, there's always, it, it was all of that them days. Mm. It was crazy. So your experience in kind of care was because your mom kind of, I guess, was on drugs and not able to look after you sufficiently mm. or properly and things. I mean, are you okay talking about your experience of why you ended up going into care, Sharina? Yeah, um, my experience of going into care was from a very tender age when I was born, pretty much, sort of young, within my first year of life. Wow. Um, and that was around my mum being young when she had me and her, sort of when you look back, you realise, you know, her not being able to deal with her life and going into certain situations as well, um, around the whole, you know, raving and partying, mm. drugs and stuff like that. Um, I think she was just, through the trauma she had been through, she hadn't got her healing. And mm. so by the time she had me, it was kind of like she wasn't in a place to be a mum. Yeah. So obviously I went into care, and I went into care till I was 17 and a half. And my experience of care was the same pretty much I did go into a few different homes mm. um, a lot of that was around the fact that you know being a child of care you have issues mm. and I think that some people when they um, when you come into their home and you've got an issue it sounds good on paper but then when they meet you and they have to deal with that day in day out some mm. people can't have that and the minute that it becomes too much they'll be like uh, we, we don't really want this child anymore can you um, find her a new place do you know mm. what I mean and that in itself um, had a massive effect on me um, I wasn't really an angry child then, but I did lose my identity. I didn't know who I was. Um, I remember at one point being in certain homes that wasn't um, within my ethics of who I am. Mm. And, you know, they tell you that you're white, you're white, you're white, you're mm. white. And I'm looking at my skin and it's brown and I'm like, mm, doesn't really make sense. Um, and I heard that I had a white mum. It, it, it was just so confusing. And you're being told this before the age of 10, yeah. you know. Um and so I do remember um, having the loss of identity, not really knowing who I was and definitely feeling lost and just feeling like a nobody. And, you know, maybe, yeah, they did care for me. They did love me. Um, there was other situations, you know, that did happen as well. But um, on the whole, I would say they would probably think they cared for me, which they probably did. But I was very, um, I'd say very uh, disengaged from them because it's kind of like you're not my parent. Do you know mm. what I mean? Um, and then when I finally went into a more secure home, which was by the time I was around nine, going into nine, um, that home was where I stayed until I left care. But even there, it was difficult because I think that particular, she loved me, she really did. Mm. But her love was not the love language that I needed. Okay. And I needed hugs, I needed nurture I needed I needed just patting to be mm. honest and she wasn't that type of woman she was a Jamaican woman she's very much rough <laughs> hard but hard loving you yeah. know um, there's a lot of her ethos that I do live on today she'd be very proud of me <laughs> um, and so yeah when I left care during the period of between the age of around 15 to 14 to 17 I did become angry I did become very resentful and I did kind of ask questions why did you put me in care and stuff like that at that point I didn't really know my mum um and basically, I did get to meet my mum later on in life. Um, and it was a big wake-up call, to be honest, because I, I had envisioned this idea in my mind of what she was going to look like. <laughs> she was not that. <laughs> I thought she was going to be 
this woman in a business suit with a briefcase with white glasses, this long straight hair. When I met her, she was in a crop top, dungarees, big bushy hair. And I was like, you're not my mum. <laughs> like that. <laughs> Can't Completely be opposite. Very loud into the whole Jamaican culture. I was a bit like, mm, okay. <laughs> but I would say it shaped me. Um, it's given me a lot of empathy. Yeah. Um, it's given me understanding and it's given me, it gave me the want to be a better person. And, you know, when I was growing up in care, there was a lot of things outside, externally, schools, your friends, this, that, and the other who did know and be like, mm. you're going to have six kids and live in a council estate. You're going to have... S- stereotyped kind of... All these kind of like- things. And I just remember basically at one point um, in my life, when I was around 17, I was really trying to prove a point to people. And like you, I was kind of affiliated to people that I shouldn't have been. And... Um, you know, wearing clothes I couldn't even afford, Avrexes and oh my lord. I was I was that girl that was known to be looking Fly. what they would call peng <laughs> every day. Yeah. Like I had trainers every day for the whole month. Mm-mm. You would never see me in trainers twice. I had that tracksuit. Like but the things I did to get that were very nice. Mm-hmm. You know? And um it just got to a point where people start sussing you out like, mm, you don't have a job. <laughs> You're wearing a coat that's like seven hundred pounds. Mm. How did you get that? Yeah. And when you can't lie anymore, well, uh, someone gave it to me, you know, and it just, you just start to, you start to realise that you look dumb. And so it was kind of from that point, I just, just kind of, if you want to say, I kind of prayed to God and was like, who am I? Like, if you're real, you better show me because I don't really know where I stand in this world. And what I did think... Did you discover? Of, yeah, I slowly, it took years. It took a mental breakdown. It took for me to kind of lose myself completely mm-hmm. To the point where I was nothing. And then to rebuild myself into the person I really wanted to be. It's like I was given an opportunity to start again, really. And that weight was kind of shifted. And ever since then, I've looked back, really. You've met your mom. Did you ever get to meet your dad? Yes, I did meet my dad. I met my dad about two years. No, 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 more than that. About five years after I met my mom. Yeah, about five years after I met my mom. Um, to be honest with you, and I think my mom wouldn't mind me saying, I'm, I won't go into details, but me and my mom don't really get on. Mm. We can talk well. We we have fantastic conversation because deep down, under all everything she's been through, she's a nice person. But due to life issues, lack of trust, through things that have happened, mm. she's not that nice all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just being honest. Yeah, like yeah. That is how it is. Um, and... You know, I, I've been put in situations with her where I've had to help her a lot yeah. regarding her children and just stuff. Um, so we clash. Yeah, It's weird because people would see us and be like, no, you get on. No, we, we can talk. Yeah. But we don't really get on. And, you know, I don't think she'll mind me saying it, but the truth came out. And it's the fact she can't relate to my lifestyle. She can't mm. relate to who I am right now. Um, you know, I've got other siblings that are going through their things that are nothing like me and she relates to them Mm. because that's her path yeah and I've just come to understand in my life that you know what I have to respect the woman she is and just understand she can't offer me what I wanted and that's fine because God has kind of put loads of other women in my life that has enhanced my life and given me what I needed maybe not a mother but mother figures yeah Um, so my dad we're very close and when I met him I saw myself (laughs) <laughs> now I know why I like young people. Now I know why I do lots of work with youth people. Now I know why I'm, you know, quite well known. And we're just the same. She, he's in the music industry. He, he did a lot of things when he was younger, um, built youth stuff. He, we're just the same. Mm. Um, and I think that relationship was easier to bond because when I found out the reason why he wasn't there 
and I'll leave that one un- unnoticed. But yeah, when I found <laughs> out the reason he wasn't there, it kind of made it easier to bond because I realised it wasn't his fault. Okay. So... And obviously yeah. you said growing up people telling you you're white, you're white. And mm-hmm. so meeting him, did it give you kind of just a different idea of who you were culturally? Yeah, I mean, well, I look like him. That was the first thing I was like, what? Where's he from? Um, he's from here, mixed um, background, Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, basically when I met him, I always had a gap in my teeth before I had braces, a big one. And when I looked at him and he smiled, like, hey, hey, hey. I was like, oh, that's where the gap came from. <laughs> um yeah, but culturally it helped. It, it didn't solve everything, to be honest, um, because it's just your dad. And then you have to remember he's got s- children mm-hmm. that you now got to meet. Um, so yeah. It's on both sides, you've got this whole extended family. Mm. I think you're both like, you've <laughs> yeah. got so, you two have got so much in common. Because, <laughs> I know. Because obviously having worked with Denise and knowing Denise, I know she's got lots of siblings kind of on both sides oh, as well. And, and you have as well. So you've, you, you've both got to kind of try and see if you can forge those relationships with those siblings as mm. well, which isn't always easy, especially mm. if you haven't known them since kind of either you were, they were born or since you were kids and things. Yeah. So, but when you meet someone as adults or as teenagers, it's kind of like you don't feel that same connection as you do mm. with siblings mm. that you've grown up with. I mean, yeah. I'm lucky that I've got, um, I've got a twin sister and then I've got five um, brothers. and um, But my dad always told me who they were and then the, we always kind of went to each other's houses and things mm. and so it wasn't it wasn't it you wasn't like a bond a, yeah so we mm. so we all have that bond kind of thing mm. so so that's one of the things I do respect about him that he didn't kind of like hide hide us all away from each other and things <laughs> and you so start dating to, each other and exactly, stuff exactly you know the world's too small these days Trust people are, to, to social media's made it even smaller mm. so you know we, we need to know who our fam- family you is do. definitely you do <laughs> you mentioned that um I guess everything you experienced made you end up having a bit, having a breakdown. And I know Denise that you've um, suffered from depression. Yeah. I mean, was do you think are there things that were the catalyst to that? And are these things things that are still kind of ongoing, or are there things that you manage, or would you say that they've, they've I don't know disappeared? How no, I got a counsellor. Yeah. So I'm going to see you in a couple of weeks. Yeah. So I get depressed every so often because I still, I don't, same as um, Trina. Trina, I don't talk to my mum. I was talking to her. She upset me the other day. I was like, you know what? It was a, the conversation was about man. I'm like, let's talk about my little sisters. One's 16, one's 24. What's happening? But she's so obsessed with getting love still. She wants, it's all about her. And that's it. It pushed me to the edge. Mm. So, um, yeah, I, I've, got, I've got someone that I see. I've got a, Half sister lives in my state. Thank God, she's a she's an up and coming counselor. So every day I've been oh, speaking wow, to her, I've been like, "Help me!" Do, 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 do. Because I've been I've been going through some dark moments. So yeah, so that's me. I still go through it. So what helps with the dark moments? What helps get you out of them? Do you know what? So I've got a counselor, and I watch a lot of motivational speakers. Mm-hmm. So I might watch Les Brown. Do you know what I mean? I'm at, mm-hmm. I've just put on Les, and I'll be like, okay. Well, I pray. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to meditate, but it's been so difficult. Sorry for me to meditate. So, um, yeah, it's more. It's more just watching motivational speakers and praying. Mm. I think with um, with depression, sometimes it's about kind of just. Um, I was watching a motivational video the other day, actually, because one of the things I'm trying to kind of get myself into a daily routine of in the mornings and getting up and trying to do some morning stretches to get me going and feeling energised and to also watch or listen to some kind of motivational talk or video to um, just put me in the right mind instead of kind of picking up my phone and going straight onto mm. social mm. media. 
And one of the videos I was watching the other day was this lady where she was talking about she'd um, lots of things happened in her life and she ended up being depressed and not wanting to get out of bed. And then one day she was, the TV was on and she saw this rocket going up into the sky and she was like, oh, I need to be like that rocket and just get up straight away. Oh, so I the next morning, she, wow. she said, so the next morning she, um, she, she said, she said oh, okay, I'm going to be like that rocket and she just got out of bed and then she just did what she needed to do for that day. So she helped her kids get ready. She, you know, cooked the dinner. She started looking for a job kind of thing and stuff. So it kind of set her on the path. And then as she kind of got better and not necessarily out of her depression, but as she started thinking about things more, she started doing a bit of research and she started hearing about... um it's kind of um, rule where if you kind of do things within kind of a few seconds that like not think about it because because our brains naturally um, try and you know like if we're scared uh, you know how our brain processes it it tries to stop us from doing things that it could that we think could physically hurt us or upset us Um, but if you do things within the within a few seconds and I can't remember if it was five or seven seconds I'm assuming it's five seconds um then um then you'll make it happen you'll do it and so um so that's one tip that um I mean I've not suffered from depression or anything but just I guess it's just but I think it works for anything in life if you you know if you're scared of doing something just kind of just get up and don't think about it just do it straight it's away true. and just make and just make it happen it's so true I think um with me um because mine was a total crash when I sort of when I came back if that you know so to speak it was actually really weird. It was as if like you literally starting life again. Mm. Um, everything was new to me. Everything was fabulous. Everything still is. <laughs> um, it's it's almost like oh my god, I'm, I'm just so happy to be here. I don't suffer from depression, thank God. I have moments. I have days where I'm just like oh, forget life. Mm. But when you say it was a crash, mm. in what way? Oh, so just it's kind of hard to describe it. Like mentally, my mind just I think it just cut off from. Mm. And I think my crash happened when I had my child. So. Um, the hospital quickly was like it's postnatal but I knew it wasn't because mm. for me it was deeper than that and I just think it was everything I've ever been through I always held it in and just pushed it low pushed it low pushed it low and I think that when I um, gave birth to my daughter mm. it was looking at her and suddenly realising you've got to be a mum this mm. person needs you Relying and then you kind of reflect back on oh but what does a mother look like oh my god like oh my god I've got to be a mum to this kid and I think my body just shut down um, the ways that it happened I was hallucinating I was um I was seeing things, I was I was I was not myself. I was mm. not myself. So yeah, when I came back, it was literally just a fresh start for me. And ever since then, which is now six years on, I've put things in place. I don't do too much anymore. Before I used to do a thousand things at once. Now I don't. I've cut it right down. I keep a good support system around me. Um and to be honest with you, a lot of people do ask me like how do I because I still do a lot, but not as much as I was doing. Um, how do you do it with a daughter and stuff like that? I've got an amazing network. Her father is amazing. His family, my friend, the cl- close friends who are her godparents, mm. they help big time. And they know, okay, you can't handle it. Cool. Do you know what I mean? But also off the back of that, I got an illness from the hospital, which has now had repercussions. So now I suffer with terrible, 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 terrible migraines to where I can be paralysed, I lose my speech, I can't see. And when it happens, no tablet works. Wow. I have to just wait for it to go. How so long can that take? A week, mm-hmm. four days, five days, two days, three. It's always a long time. Yeah. Wow. Um, what was the illness? So what I caught from the hospital was strep B. It's no. a blood-related disease, which basically attacks your body. Um, but because I got so ill, it was ridiculous. I nearly died no. from it. The repercussions of surviving is now I have a lot of memory loss. 
when I get the migraines, if you used to speak to me, you'd think I'm stupid because I can't remember my name. I can't, I, like, I'm just, I'm like a baby, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I mean, as soon as I come out of it, I can talk to you. Yeah. When it's happening, I, I can't, I can't operate. Um, and then, yeah, off the back of that, it's difficult because if I, if my daughter is with me, she has to now communicate to her dad and say, oh, mom's not well. Can mm. you come and get me? Or, you know, you know, luckily it hasn't happened for a long time. However, I kind of had to look at the things that um, trigger it. And I knew stress was one thing. Yeah. My eating was another and not getting enough sleep and mm. doing too much. So the year before last, I literally calmed my life down completely. And as much as I was like, I'm going to miss out on opportunities and stuff, I said, do you want to die or would you like to be here for your child? Mm. So I just streamlined it all. And now it's sort of in keeping. And this year has been the best year so far, whereby I cut meat out my life and cut a lot of things and try to be more healthier still need to go to the gym but um <laughs> not because I'm fat I'm clearly not but heart wise I need to go to the gym yeah um yeah I'm um, doing all of that I've only had two headaches this year Amazing. which before I was suffering three a day wow. I think I think you know I think we all um, underestimate how kind of eating well and exercising can you know have such an amazing effect on us physically and mentally yeah. I mean I see you Denise I saw in one of your Insta stories <laughs> you're going to um, go and shopping to buy healthy um, food and <laughs> and trying to do more in the gym and things and I mean is that to kind of help you out in the yeah I'm stuff? trying to I'm trying to get fit number one like I want, it's helping me mentally mm-hmm. and um, also I want to I, I want to look a certain type of way <laughs> much of it's serious I've got this vision board at home and I, I'm like listen I need to be wearing some certain dresses <laughs> so it's it's more to do with it also helps me with my stress as well whenever I get whenever I get depressed or stress I just run to the gym so it's really good for me but in terms of the heat, eating I'm working on it day to day definitely I think it's um, good to I think working out as well, it's, it's about finding the thing that um, interests you and that makes mm. you want to do it. Mm. So for some people, it might not be the gym. It might be, you know, taking part in a class or it might be mm. being part of a team. Kind of thing. Mm. So the gym I'm kind thing of, puts me off. Exactly. I'm so. a class person. Mm. Like so it's about finding what's, what's good for you, but definitely it helps you kind of, as I said, physically and mentally, if you can mm. find that thing to kind of do just to keep you active. Because um, there's so much kind of just things out there you know whether it's cancer whether it's kind of things to do with our mental health that are just affecting us all mm. and so anything that we can do to try and either kind of alleviate that or yeah, <laughs> things definitely. you know so true. is is a is a beautiful thing tell me more about beauty from within what what is that so beauty from within started um after i came out of my breakdown how did you come out the breakdown yeah how did i come out of it when i realized what happened to me when the doctors di- diagnose you with something they automatically give you pills and just kind of leave you there to take these pills for a certain amount of time and then they'll come and see how you are. Mm. So I remember I had a psychologist come and see me in the hospital and because I've done a lot of psychology, um, when she was talking to me, <laughs> as much as I was out of it, I could kind of sense of what she was saying. And I knew, I remembered when I was at my uni class what to say in mm. return for what she was asking. So when she was saying, how are you feeling? I knew not to say, oh, you know, I'm not really feeling good or I was like, I'm feeling well. Mm. when she said you know are you hearing voices no I'm not yeah you know it was very weird because then she went back to them and said she's fine <laughs> so then they discharged me thank god but um getting out of it was a long slug to be honest it took two years really realistically yeah. um and it was first of all getting used to my environment again sounds weird but being in my house was strange um being alone was scary mm. um 
I remember the first thing I'd done is picked up the Bible and just started reading it. I read a psalm that my grandma used to bang on at me my whole life, and that was the first time I read it. And I was like, okay, I'll read it now. And prayer, and just um, literally having that support network around me, not just with my daughter, but like them checking in on me, cooking for me, um, sometimes cleaning my house, and just letting me get better slowly by myself. Mm. Um, And speaking life over me. Um, And then in time, it it was a bit of a miracle, to be honest, because after two weeks of leaving hospital, I just, one day, something just went, fix up. Mm. You need to get your life together because you've got a baby. And if you don't, they're going to come and take your baby. And I just remember thinking, I don't want my child to go into care. And I swear, it was just, something just went, switch. And I was fine. Mm. And I say that, Obviously, I didn't just start floating around fine. But fine in that, I started to make some decisions. Okay, would I like to work? You know, what do I want to do? Okay, um, do I need to go to, you know, wherever for some advice? Like, slow little steps. It took, as I said, it took two years. But what I did decide, it was around seven months after I came out, um, I wanted to start my business because I realised my mind wasn't functioning how I used to function, and it still doesn't. Mm. Everyone calls me blonde, hashtag. But... um, (laughs) Yeah, my mind wasn't functioning and I just didn't know if I could handle a job, to be honest. So I didn't go back into work. And I just thought, oh, maybe this is the time that God's allowing for me to just do my purpose. Mm. And so in the sense of when I had that breakdown, um, I call it rock bottom. Yeah. And it was my opportunity to start taking the steps back to heaven again, so to speak. Um, one of those steps, um, when I was in hospital and I was sort of deep in a sleep one time, it came to me. And I'd been saying for ages, I want to start some sort of theatre company because I've always been in performing arts from very young. Mm. And I said, I want to start a theatre company or something creative, something an event, just something creative, fun, (laughs) something like that I like. And one day I woke up out of my sleep and it came to me, beauty from within. And I just remember saying, that's what I'm going to call my business. And so, yeah, seven months later, we had our first show in a theatre and it was dope. And I shared my experience, what happened to me. And we've kind of gone from glory to glory from there. So it started... um, as a theatre show, theatre company, but then we quickly realised theatre is very expensive. <laughs> it is. And because I was funding it myself, it was a self-funded business um, venture. Um, so I started, suddenly realised, okay, I'm going to have to work because <laughs> it wasn't paying for itself at first. Yeah. But we did the first one. Everyone's like, when's the next one? And you're like, oh, let, let, let's see what minus, let me see how I can build up this minus because, <laughs> you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, and then, yeah, the following year, I was more together, and then by the third year, I was really strong. And I started to realise, maybe this is my healing. Mm. And then it kind of went into like, oh, excuse me, your story was amazing. Can you uh, mentor my son? Can you mentor my daughter? And then it was, oh, Shrina, could you come and speak at this event? Shrina. And then it just evolved. That's the beauty of life, I guess. <laughs> how, how things, so how a situation like having a breakdown can lead to that, I guess, epiphany and that moment of you deciding and making that decision as to what you want to do and what you want to achieve with your life. Yeah. And Denise, Beauty Within is um, kind of deals with young people and things. And you work a lot with young people, Denise. Yeah. So I mean, what made you want to do that? Do you know what? I started to teach a over 10 years ago because um, it was like by accident because I got contracts in Lambeth um, with kids in gangs so I used to go to like all the different youth clubs all throughout Lambeth working with 16 to 18 years old um, for a company called I think it was Lambeth Crime Prevention and um, then about four years ago I decided that I wanted because I also work with NEETS as well with 
couple of companies and, so and working with Prue's. Oh, Neats. Yeah. Sorry. Not in education. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. And then kids who's been kicked out of school. Um, f- I've been freelancing um, as a textiles tutor. So four years ago, I decided to do my first year teacher's degree. And um, when, I, when I was going through my second year, no one, no one would give me a placement. So I was like, I spoke to a couple of colleges. I need to do a replacement. I need to get my teacher's degree. I just need my teacher, to, my tutor to come and assess me. And I, and I felt like a lot of pe- people felt intimidated by me because they knew that I was a fashion stylist. Mm. And they were trying to talk me out of why I can't be a teacher. So I created Fashion Change My Life. And um, I did a pilot. And it was like, um, I taught over like 100 kids in my estate. Fantastic. And um, I was teaching young people, adults, but I taught them fashion styling, designing, um, customising. And um, as I said, it was a pilot. So I took like young girls out to like fashion shows, got them to style models and make clothes from scratch. So they made like bomber jackets, skirts. I was meant to continue, I continued the, um, the business, but I got sick. And um, I remember... I say to God, please, if you help me get out of this operation, mm-hmm. I promise I'm going to change. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, I did my first YouTube video on my iPhone 4. I'm sure you guys seen mm-hmm. it. Kick down the door, Kung Fu kick down the door. It was, oh, my God, that video is amazing. I loved it. And all of a sudden, I'm getting Sky, had an interview, then Ben TV. Then I'm doing all these talks out of the blue. And I'm like, OK. You know, I do talks about how to be a fashion stylist or I can flip it on how fashion changed my life. And... um. Yeah, I've got a couple of talks coming up. I'm actually doing a talk with Lucy Chow, Jimmy Choo's niece. And I can't believe it. I'm like, what in Mayfair me, Denise Brown? (laughs) But yeah, so that's um, pretty much it. And it just goes to show once we put ourselves out of our comfort zone, and even if you, you know, whether you believe you can do something or not, but if you just just say, I'm going to do something, Mm. it just shows what can change and what can happen in, happen in your life it shows what what magic can happen because mm-hmm. look, look you've got all these opportunities now from putting yourself out there yeah. so I think um, anyone listening you know I'm going to set you a challenge I want you to each day for the next five days to do one live video on either Instagram or Facebook kind of you know just you know with you, you can be whatever doing whatever you can be talking about yourself you can kind of do a bit of a motivational speech you can just do anything but I think just just either put something out there or just um the other of a task is maybe just do something that you've been putting off that you've been mm. scared to do so if there's something that you've like I really want to do that but I don't know how or I don't know why or I'm scared like figure it out and just do it like set yourself this challenge because you know what life's short we don't know what's around the corner there's so many people getting sick I mean mm-hmm. you two you two have testament to kind of the kind of experiences that um and the kind of experiences where you know can change your life and I guess take you on a different course for better or for worse mm-hmm. so it just goes to show you know just just people just need to just do the things that make them happy and the things that they want to do and you know and don't be scared of failure we all fail and I think failure teaches us mm-hmm. um, it teaches us to be better people or just teaches us how to get back up after failure because I think that's one thing kind of mentally some people that can't handle it is because they've never experienced failure and so they don't know how to handle it when these things happen. I always say failure is failure is a lesson. Yeah. It's it the is. lesson you didn't know you needed. Exactly. It is a lesson you didn't know you needed. So ladies, this has been amazing. I've Thank learned you. so much from you both <laughs> Thank and you so, and so much. inspired by your experiences and how you've managed to kind of come out of everything that's happened in your lives and be the kind of beautiful 
amazing and talented women that you are. Oh, thank, so, God. Um, yes. <laughs> thank God. Yes. Thank God. So um, the, the, Denise and Sharida there holding hands yes. and shaking Girl hands. Power. Like, yeah. Oh, God. Lovely. So, nice so how can people find you, Sharina? You can find me when you look for me, baby. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Instagram. I'm um, Sharina12. That's S-H-I-R-I-N-A number 12. One two, and um, I'm also got Facebook. Um, and if you want to catch me on Instagram for Beauty from Within, although Beauty from Within is going to be changing soon, it's better to stay on my personal so I can keep you up to date. Cool. And Denise, how can people keep her keep abreast with what um, you're doing? Instagram at Denise Brown Stylist, and um, my Facebook page is Denise Brown Stylist. Yeah, YouTube because obviously oh, that's yeah, where you put your videos. <laughs> hey girl, sorry YouTube. Denise Brown stylist. <laughs> Everything is Denise Brown stylist. Denise. That's, what she, that's what she does. <laughs> Thank you, ladies. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. TV presenter June Sarpong has enjoyed a 20-year career in the industry and he's a very recognisable face. She's also the co-founder of Women, Inspiration and Enterprise. But I'll let her tell you the rest. Hi, I'm June Sarpong and I'm very excited to be part of the Black Magic podcast. I am a television presenter uh, and now turned author. My media career began when I was 16. I was very lucky. I did work experience at KISS FM uh, during my GCSEs and I got on really well there. And when I uh, finished, they allowed me to come back uh, during the holidays while I did my A-levels. Um, and then when I finished my A-levels, they offered me a job and so that work experience completely changed the trajectory of my life in the sense that it happened at the right time where KISS was small enough uh, to give somebody like me quite a big opportunity Um, and then also I, I suppose, made the most of that opportunity. I went into the music business um, and I was a music plugger. And again, it was such an exciting time. I mean, I was really young. I was like 18 or so. Um, and I was looking after people like Usher and TLC. It was, it was that era of um, when Atlanta and all of that stuff was really bubbling. So I was at BMG uh, looking after all of these great artists. Um, and then I got my job on MTV. Um, and so I was part of a new wave of young presenters um, when MTV first became MTV UK and Ireland. So it was myself, uh, it was Richard Blackwood, it was Kat Dealey, Russell Brand, um, oh, Edith Bowman, uh, Zane Lowe, who's now at Apple. Um, there were so many of us that got our break in this one place and they really nurtured us. And I think what we were lucky with was MTV spent money on developing us because when I look at my early TV stuff it was really loud and like mimicking presenting I would say the biggest challenges that I've faced for sure I think um being a black woman uh, in an industry that's not uh, that conducive uh, to um, uh, black female success uh, has definitely been a challenge. I will not lie. Uh, Things have not been the same for me and my uh, white female colleagues, no question. But at the same time, I think what it's done is it's enabled me to develop other sides of my um, uh, personality and also to test other abilities that I wouldn't have otherwise. What I'm really energised by 
because when I see the sort of new generation of grime artists and, and all of these young black entrepreneurs that are taking matters into their own hands, even what you're doing with this podcast, I think, you know, when I was starting out, there was nothing like this. When I was starting out, you either had to have the opportunity from a gatekeeper, so they had to like you uh, or not, and if you didn't get that opportunity, your career wasn't didn't happen. So I think of all the talent that just was lost um, from my generation because those opportunities were not there, whereas now you're able to find your own audience and make your own audience and, and, and create content um, that for communities that aren't being served. Um, so I think it's a really exciting time right now. I would say the thing in terms of knowledge that I've learned uh, throughout my career and I'm still learning um, uh, is not to take rejection personally because often it's not about you I mean often you know when we're rejected who's me person doesn't like me or whatever no number one you don't know what kind of day that person's having number two you don't know what's going on in their life at that moment number three we're all products of the system and most of us are not um, strong enough to challenge that system or not curious enough to challenge that system. So we just keep things as they are. And I think um, once you learn to detach yourself, it doesn't impact you in the same way. One of the things that I would say to a lot of young people looking to start out now is um, we all start somewhere. If you're not privileged, if you're not from a wealthy, well-connected background, everybody most people have to start somewhere and sometimes that is making the teas and sometimes you know it's the mundane monotonous tasks but it's about giving that stuff your all so that you get the opportunity for the more um, fun stuff my new book diversify uh, six degrees of integration is out at the moment um, and it's been a real labor of love um, how the book came about was from an incident that happened to me a few years ago when i was uh, living in america uh, i was filming in las vegas um, and i was on set and a young man appeared who was covered head to toe in tattoos and i was uh, uncomfortable around him and intimidated by him and in that moment, I understood otherizing from the perspective of actually being the person doing it as opposed to being a woman of color and usually being on the receiving end. And it made me look at this issue from both sides and made me want to start a conversation. Uh, these are conversations that we often ignore um, and avoid, but we have to have in order to move society forward. Not only is diversity important to me, but I think diversity is actually important to society and the benefits of society. Um, so there's a fantastic quote uh, by a man called William Sloan Coffin, uh, and he was a famous civil rights activist. Um, and the quote is, diversity may be the hardest thing for a society to live with, uh, but perhaps the hardest thing for a society to be without. Uh, and I really believe that. I think this is an issue that when you look at it and you just use cold, hard data and you use statistics, it's quite clear it's better for society, it's better for everybody when you create a framework where everybody is able to contribute to their best of their ability, regardless of their background. So this is the magic. Turn something challenging into something inspiring. Join every episode of the Black Magic podcast by subscribing on the Acast and iTunes podcast apps. We're also on Stitcher and Player FM. All the women featured in the series will be featured on the Colour Network website. 
where you can see videos and images of this year's Black Magic Awards. Do spread the word and share the magic. Thank you for listening. This podcast is produced by Unedited.